Welcome back to Sports Performance Radio. I am your host, B. Chavez, and this is a very special episode. This is, yet again, another Sports Performance Radio Extra, and uh, I'm aware many of you have uh, notified me that that's not a very imaginative title, but it's the best I've got for the moment, and it does suit the purpose. It is an extra show. But today's show is, in fact, very special, as well as being very extra. Today, we are going to speak with six-time national champion, 105 pro strongman, and newly crowned 90-kilogram world's strongest man, Zach McCarley. Zach is going to both tell us about his trip to the world's strongest man, kind of in a, uh, a traveler's tale style. This is less of an interview and more of just kind of a recounting of Zach's journey uh, from non-competitiveness, actually competitive hiatus, I suppose is a better wording, to invitation, to training, to the actual get on an airplane and go to Europe and compete. So it's a, it's a very, very interesting, very follow-along kind of story. A uh, lot of interesting things, little insights from from the competition and about the competition. So it's, it's very much, uh, very much something to sit back and listen to. And it's always great to talk to anyone who has world's strongest man after their name. So without any more, uh, without any more preamble, we will cut away and bring in newly crowned 90 kilogram world's strongest man, Zach McCarley. All right, everybody, as promised, we are on the phone with the new. 90 kilogram world's strongest man, Zach McCarley. Zach, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good today. How are you? It's great. It's, I'm good. It's great to talk to you. I'm really excited about this. Um, as we talk real briefly off air, um, this is kind of a new thing for me. I don't typically do quote interview shows. Um, certainly not, you know, current event type interview shows. So this is part of me branching out and trying to do something new. And I really appreciate you coming along for the ride. And I can't think of a more deserving topic or a more deserving person. So uh, let's just jump right into it. Introduce yourself, who you are, what you've done, and uh, just just give us the goods on the 90K and what you can on the 105K World's Strongest Man. Uh, well, uh, the event was pretty awesome. It was held over in Norway, Spiedeberg, Norway. And, uh, you know, the Americans had a strong showing, uh, not only in the 90 kilo class, but in the 105 kilo class. Uh, from my personal point of view, it was, uh, you know, I, when I travel, I always try to enjoy myself as much as possible. And taking in that culture was really interesting. They have, uh, they have kind of a, a little bit more closed culture. You know, you, you, if you go up to someone and just kind of ask them a question, they're like, oh, my God, is this person talking to me? Like, <laughs> you know, they don't – they're not used to that uh, face-to-face interaction quite as much as we are in the States. So uh, that was a little bit interesting to get used to. But getting back to the actual contest, um, yeah, we had strong athletes, and uh, it, yeah, it was – was, Don't mean to interrupt, but uh, just as a background, was this the very first – uh, 90 and 105 case, world's strongest man, or was this the second? I know they've had a couple 105 kilo world championships. Um, I know Justin Blake competed in one in like 2009. Um, now I don't know if, I don't know about the 90 kilo class. I'm not sure on the history of the 90 kilo class. This is the first time I'd ever 
I mean, I've heard of 90 kilo competitions, like 90 kilo Europe's strongest man or 90 kilo Britain's strongest man, but I'd never heard of a 90 kilo worlds before this one. So I, I really don't know. It's, it's actually kind of a funny story how, uh, I wound up getting invited and how all of this went down because I was actually completely out of the loop for about a year out of, like out of the strongman loop. So. Well, by all means, hit us with that story, and then you know into the actual event. You know how how the you know what the events were, how they unfolded, how you placed, how others placed. Just uh, any and all you know news related to the topic would be uh, greatly appreciated, and, and I think greatly enjoyed. Okay, well, uh, <clears throat> I guess I guess how did I get invited? Let's start with that because that's kind of a funny story in itself, uh, and and a little bit of. Uh, lead up to that story. So last year, so that would be what, 2014 America's Strongest Man for the 105 kilo class. I competed in that and then I also competed in the NAF Nationals for the heavyweight and uh, didn't quite do as well as I wanted to. I had a lot of things going on in my life and that's, uh, you know, that, that everybody does. You know what I mean? That's That's part of the sport. And I, I figured, hey, this would be a good time for me to just step away from the sport and focus on grad school uh, as I was just beginning my uh, my graduate school experience here at Central Washington University. <laughs> and uh, I guess for those of you that don't know, I'm a graduate student in chemistry. Uh, it's We have a pretty serious program here. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it takes up a lot of my time, but yeah, having having survived a minor in analytical chemistry, I certainly certainly had some sympathy and and then some. That's uh, that's yeah. no, no small no small iceberg to tackle. Yeah, but uh, so I decided to focus on graduate school, and I've always really uh, I've always really liked weightlifting. I don't feel that I could live without it, and so I told myself, okay, I'm going to figure out, you know, well, what am I going to do athletically, and. Uh, I decided that I was going to start weightlifting, so I started weightlifting, and uh, like weightlifting, like some people call Olympic weightlifting, but it's just called weightlifting. <laughs> Many people don't know that. In the I rest guess. of the world, yes. In North America, yeah. I tend to agree that it's Olympic lifting. Um, yeah. To note the difference between you know doing bench presses in your garage and mm-hmm. you know, doing snatches and cleans and jerks. Uh, bad, bad vernacular, perhaps, but it is it is the way of North America, so we'll go with that, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I started focusing on that. Uh, meanwhile, I was dieting down to the 94-kilo weight class, and uh, about about nine months into focusing on the weightlifting and, uh, you know, taking time off of Strongman, I heard about this World Championships coming up, and I was like, oh, man. You know, I was looking at it, and I saw a couple of people that were going, and I was like, man, that'd be really fun to go to. I was thinking about it, and I was like, man, 105 kilos, uh, I'm just, I'm a little bit too light right now. I've lost, I think I've lost a little bit too much event strength, uh, because there's this, like, event strength, and there's, like, static gym strength. And I was, you know, I was nine months out of training. I figured, eh, I'm a little bit too far out, but, I mean, if I got an invite, I couldn't say no, and... uh I kind of, I think I left a comment somewhere on Facebook, and I was just like, hey, you know, man, if I had an invite to this, I'd definitely go. And 
a couple of people saw that and were kind of like, yeah, like Zach, Zach's the best that America has to offer. Like if he goes down to 90 kilo, then he, you know, he'd win hands down, no problem. And I was like, uh, 90 kilo. <laughs> I guess I could do that and started thinking about it and I wound up getting an invitation. So I decided to go 90 kilo. And, uh, the power, the power of social media is unavoidable and unresistible. I, it I is. It's, yeah, no, it's it's really funny. I mean, it was totally totally due to social media, the reason why I got invited. Um, that's, that's, that's both interesting and exciting. I'm, I'm glad that the public now has that measure of power, that they can yeah. get promoters and organizers to maybe not bend to their will, but at least acknowledge their will, at least, you know, acknowledge their wants. That's interesting, and in and of itself probably deserves some commentary down the road. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I got really mixed emotions about that because I fucking hate it when people complain about an event being too heavy or an event being, you know, too difficult or something like that, or they want an event change or something silly. Like, yes, there's a time and place for that, but after the events and everything have been um, – announced they think it's just shut up and train you know what i mean get ready and just go rock that competition you know <laughs> but but getting back to the point yeah it was um it was pretty cool to to get it was kind of like a wild card invitation because all the other people that were invited were top three in their respective nations and uh i mean i feel like i feel like i had the qualifications being a six-time national champion here in the u.s like yeah, I think I should get an invite. But <laughs> that that being said, if they wanted to respect that only top three guys, uh, only top three placers getting invites, then... You know, I very much understand, and, and I respect the humility of your position, but uh, Mike Johnston, my former colleague with the RX Power Hour, and I just had an off-air conversation. I sincerely wish I had recorded it, because we were talking about, you know, these people getting invites the nationals and that sort of thing. And, and I honestly, my position was I'm all for it. I think that there definitely needs to be some sort of, uh, you know, system of who gets to go based on numerical statistics. But I also believe that it is – the strongman is a business, as anything mm-hmm. is. If they're taking your money and organizing the bed, it's a business. And – I really believe that the organizer should be able to, with with no complaint or, or, or drama, be able to invent, invite people that will promote the event. Having a six-time national champion, having literally one of the historic best athletes available in your event, in my mind, elevates the value of the event, therefore elevates the business, therefore makes everything better for everyone. Whether you, Zach McCauley, won or lost, someone competing against and potentially beating Zach McCauley makes them better, not worse. I can't mm-hmm. imagine someone having a complaint. Not not that you're saying someone did, but I just couldn't imagine a scenario where somebody could complain, oh, the competition was much too good. That was that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I – yeah, like I said, I really I got mixed emotions about it because I do believe that there do need to be certain rules set in place and rules that are adhered to, but at the same time I do believe that the cream rises to the top. And I mean, if <laughs> I feel like if 
someone is really that good and qualified and everything, they shouldn't really have any qualms with wild card invitations. I, you know? I I really don't understand why people would have a complaint about that. I mean, it's not like they just called some you know country bumpkin and said, "Hey, Billy Bob, what do you can you can you lift a log? Why don't you come on down?" I mean, that's <laughs> not at all how it took place. I mean, it's you know. I mean, it'd be like the world's strongest man. If Bill Kazmaier, if they called Bill Kazmaier, said, Bill, would you like to compete? And he said, yes. How could you possibly go, but you're really not qualified in modern context. You, you can't come. So really, <laughs> that's simpleton. Who, who would think that? Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, that's that's how I view that. But anyway, it's not about me. It's about you. Continue, sir. I apologize. <laughs> Sorry, where where was I? I'm I'm not even sure where I was. You're I don't know. I get wound up, start ranting and raving. I'll yell for you. You can just listen to me yell. It's <laughs> not <laughs> so good. Um, anyway, I don't I don't know that anyone even had any um, issues with my invitation, but uh, but yeah, that's that's essentially how I got the invitation. And I hadn't trained for nine months, and uh, I was like, okay, well, I looked at the I looked at the event weights, and I was. You know, I hate to sound like a dick, but I was kind of like, damn, this is a light contest because <laughs> I'm used to the 105 kilo class. And not only am I used to the 105 kilo class, which is the 231 pound class, but I'm used to the weights that come along with that class at a pro level, which means essentially I'm used to damn near world, like unlimited world strongest man weights. Like in competition, I've yoked, you know, I've, I've yoked well over 900 pounds. You know, I've had to do farmer's walks with over 340 in competition. I, you know, you can name just about any event. And, uh, you know, with the exception of maybe a super heavy standard bar deadlift or a super heavy log. Uh, and I've had to, I've had to do that, you know. In competition, I've had to press over a 210 pound dumbbell, which is lighter than some of the dumbbells that have been held at World's Strongest Man. Um, you know, in the last half decade, so. Yeah, very much, very much so. With the exception of, as you said, with the exception of the, like the, uh, the, the silver dollar is still what I think of, the silver dollar deadlift, and yeah, the, yeah. the big, you know, like Zadruna Zavikis 500-pound log press, yeah, you're, you're quite right. The, uh, the, the 230 guys are lifting 80 to 95% of the world's strongest man weights, and they're doing it at half the body weight. Well, yeah, nearly, no, nearly really half the body. Well, de- depending on who you compare them to, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, rumor Shaw's walking the earth now at 200 kilograms, which is 440 pounds. I, mean, I actually heard a little heavier, but <laughs> but yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I've heard from some other people that he they actually they actually kind of lowball his weight. Wow. I, which I don't know why they would, but that's what I've heard. So. Well, because it's becoming bovine at this point. I think it's, it's, it's just a <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm that guy. I'm all for it, and I think it's wonderful and amazing. But at the same time, I stop and think, well, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway, shit. separate subject. But yes, and and I, I will I will try to limit my interruptions into your tail, but I will. I do want to say this because I, I feel that this is something that very much does need to be said. Um, I'm consistently amazed at the la- maybe not the lack of respect, but the lack of cognizance on the public's part as to how good lightweight strongmen are. Um, we'll, we'll come to it in a little bit as you tell your tale, but you, you took an attempt at near 400 pounds in the log press. 
yeah, which is yeah. which is eighty percent of the unlimited world record, and you literally did it at half the body weight. You did it at it was, 100 uh, pounds of body weight, whereas Zavikis and Shaw and those guys are plus 400. So I really, really think the public needs to open their eyes and look a little closer at just how extraordinary the 105 and now the 90K, I say now, they were always good, but I mean, now that there's a world championship, really look at the 90 and 105 athletes as the extraordinary specimens they are. Yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna say uh, I was gonna say it was actually an actual press. I think you might have said log. But I'm, I, I, I did say log. I apologize. Okay. You're right. It yeah. was. Um, which actually, in my I think to me anyway, I find axles far more difficult than logs. It's actually probably an even greater feat than I uh, than I actually. <laughs> at, le- at least to me, but of course I get a little baby hand, so maybe that limits my axling <laughs> prowess. But, I want to eat Whoppers, but I got these baby hands. My hands are smaller than that guy. <laughs> it's, no, uh, it's tragic. It's tragic. Uh, I, 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 again, I want to keep inter- I want to s- minimize my interruptions, but it's a perfect place for my midget story. <laughs> and right across the, right across from my room was a good a good friend of mine. He he, he wound up uh, passing away. He didn't he didn't make it. Um, he was a maniac, but he was a midget. The man was three feet tall. He was 36 inches tall. He was the size of a coffee table. He was just this big. And he discovered, we were in the gym, we chalked our hands, and he discovered that his handprint was larger than mine. And I believe it was the first time in his poor little midget life that he had something bigger than anyone else. And he broke into my room every single day and put chalk handprints on everything I owned, relentlessly <laughs> and religiously. Everything, I mean every day, I mean Christmas, New yeah. Year's, man didn't miss a day. It didn't matter how sick he was, didn't matter. He went in my room to <laughs> chalk prints on everything to mark his territory. The man had the bigger hands. I was a loser. He was the winner. <laughs> and he took that to his grave. So anyway, <laughs> that's where I stand in the hand boat. So there you are. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> and tragic, but but moving on, moving on, moving on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, where were we? Right after the invitation, right? Yes. So, so I got the invitation, and uh, after taking that month off of strongman training, and I looked at the event weights, and I was like, "Holy crap, these things are light. Shouldn't be much of an issue. I want to see where I'm at now." So I. The day after I got the event invitation, I, or the, you know, the day after I got my invitation, I did every single event. And it took me, I think it took me six hours to get through everything. And I actually, uh, I actually called up my friend Pat Castelli and, uh, you know, told him how it went. We kind of chatted about it a little bit. You know, I got through the contest. I didn't get through it as well as I did at the end of my training, at the end of my, like, training prep, but I got through it. And I knew that with uh, with 10 weeks to train, I could make a lot of progress. And so I had 10 weeks. I wrote the programming that same day and uh, then just trained for 10 weeks and took a week off, rested, showed up, and uh, just did my best. <laughs> well, I, I realized in the, in the mind of such a successful athlete, it was really as simple as that. 
But um, <laughs> I think really the thing to do is have you back another day and hold a proper sports performance radio show and have you talk us through the actual prep of I'm 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 officially going to these are the things I do I'm officially getting on the airplane to compete. But all of that mm-hmm. aside, um, tell us a little bit just just the personals. Tell us about the trip. You know how leaving our shores, landing on their shores. Um, you know, how were the event promoters? How was the public? How was the food? I mean, anything. Um, you know, people that haven't done this sort of thing just simply don't know. So just just throw it out there, anything that comes to mind. Gotcha. Well, uh, a lot of guys travel alone when they go to international contests. But actually, um, I received an invitation, and then the 80-kilo world champion, Pat Castelli, received an invitation, and he and I are actually really good friends. So uh, I I chatted with him, and I was like, hey, let's travel together. He's like, okay, that's a great idea. So we actually we met up at SeaTac, uh, and we flew straight from SeaTac to Reykjavik, and then Reykjavik to Oslo. And then, uh, you know, it was just – it was a blast traveling with him because, you know, we just – we feed off of one another, and we like to get rowdy, and it's just <laughs> – we just like to goof off. Out of the Arnold, I know he's a, he's a little bit of a clown. He can he can find trouble where there isn't any. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. No, we just like we like to have fun, you know. And uh, you know, on the way there, there wasn't quite so much of that. It was, it was more, um, it was more like make sure we're ready. And for me, it was, uh, I think, yeah. For me, it was just getting my meals in on time and things like that. And I think it was pretty much the same thing for him, but. You know, still very focused on the way there. Um, the whole time, doing our best to enjoy the uh, the experience of traveling, and then manage, you know, emotions. Because even if you're even if you're supremely confident in how you're going to perform, you get butterflies. Like it doesn't matter how how good you are. When you Those, have 20 that hours never to sit on an airplane and think about it. Yeah, exactly. It it doesn't matter how good you get it. Those never go away. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we we traveled. The flight was okay. He he slept way more than I did on the way there. I didn't sleep much at all. Uh, I got a little bit of homework done, some reading, some typing, and uh, we landed in Oslo. And we met up with uh, we met up with Adam Lane. And, uh, Johnny Wasico and Sean D. Marinas. And, uh, Sean was actually a little bit late. Johnny waited up for him, but Adam, Pat, and I took the train down to Speederberg, checked into the hotel, and oh my gosh, this hotel was so awesome. Like, it was such a high-end hotel. I think it was called the Thon Hotel at Ski, and, which is the town, Ski, Norway, or, but they were calling it She, like, it's spelled S-K-I, but just their pronunciation is a little different. Anyway, beautiful hotel um we walk in and just like it's just really nice in there and i'm i'm kind of like oh damn like <laughs> this is awesome we get checked in we go up to the hotel room and get some of our stuff unpacked eat a little bit of food and then come back down and something that i found cool was uh apparently coffee is the national drink of norway and well, they had Scandinavia, but yes, yes, it yeah. Is. I I, I had no clue. Yeah, I had no clue. And uh, I was just like walking around the hotel, and they had these coffee machines everywhere. And I'm like, what the hell are these? <laughs> you know? 
And uh, I I went up to the front desk and I was like, is this a coffee machine? And they're like, yeah. Do you, do you want some coffee? And I'm like, uh, sure. <laughs> and just like, you can have coffee anytime you want. And like, I just thought it was, I thought that was amazing because they were like little, it wasn't like Keurig cups. Like we're familiar with Keurig cups, but like they had these espresso discs that were like yes. little, they had these little discs. You just put them in and then you select the size that you want and it made the drink right there. And I don't know, it was wild. It was really fun. Um, it's funny, little cultural quirks that, yes, in, in Scandinavia, coffee is game anytime, even at bedtime. And uh, just a little tip, too, if you're, you know, traveling to the Pennsylvania, Ohio area, um, in the Pennsylvania Dutch uh, culture, pie is an acceptable meal any time of day. You really? Know, you have pie for breakfast, huh. you get pie before bed, completely thumbs up on the pie, great cultural tip, order pie. But anyway... <laughs> Awesome. I had no clue about that either. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, I thought that was pretty awesome. Uh, we all, you know, we made sure that we were on way. I think we had a day between weigh-ins and when we got there, so we just kind of hung out, um, you know, kind of managed our emotions. So the event was actually about, I think it was about 15 miles south in a place called okay. Cedarburg. Okay. Yeah, um, but it was it was literally like walk out the hotel. There's a train across the street. Hop on the train, get off the train. Like you know, 15 miles later, and then walk across the street, and that's the convention center that it was at. Oh, okay, excellent. So and uh, that's good. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Anyway, it it was a blast. Everybody made weight just fine. Nobody really had to worry too much. Um, after we made weight, we all went to, like, the breakfast buffet, uh, at least all the 105-kilo guys, and then Pat and I. I think some of the other 90-kilo guys rented, like, a house somewhere. I'm I'm not sure exactly what they did, but um, Pat Castelli and Adam Lane and I all split a room, and then uh, Sean DeMarinas and Johnny Wasico split a room, and those two are hilarious. Anybody who's spent time around those two, like, it's just like spending time around those guys, it turns into the Sean and Johnny show <laughs> because they just, they fight like a married couple. Like, it's just hilarious. Um, <laughs> it's just so fun. It's so fun to watch those two just go at it. They just yell at each other all the time. It's great. Um, but, yeah, weigh-ins went fine. We showed up to the contest and – uh you know, they told us they were going to start at 10, but we actually wound up starting around 11.30 or something like that. So people started you know, people started warming up at 9-ish or something, 9.30. And uh, I was looking around, and I didn't really see any officials. I didn't see, uh, you know, I didn't see, you know, some of the people who were familiar with the area warming up. And so I kind of went over to Pat and some of the other guys. I said, hey, not everyone's warming up right now. Like, just just the Russians and the Polish guys and, you know, one or two other countries are warming up, but the Norwegians aren't warming up right now. So I don't think we should warm up. <laughs> and so we played it cool. I, you know, I think we played it cool for about an hour, extra hour, and then we started warming up. Um, the first event on day one was the Axle Clean and Press for Reps. Uh you know, like I mentioned before, I hate it when I hate it when they change weights and things like that. And 
because when I program, I, I get everything dialed in like perfectly. Um, and there was actually a weight change that they made two or three weeks before the show. They decided to bump the 90 kilo weight down from 120 kilo to, uh, 115 kilo. And yeah, it's only 11 pounds, but it made a difference to me. And I was just like, God damn it. <laughs> kind of gave away an advantage perhaps a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, so yeah, no, it's, it's very true. I mean, in training, I, you know, so 120 kilos is 264 pounds. I worked up my, my heaviest week in training. I worked up to a 280 axle for eight and a minute. And that's clean and press. And when you get up to that range, it's, completely about tempo um you can't i don't know i don't know i was just i was ready for something heavier i was a little upset that it got bumped down because then it gave other it gave up some of my advantage and gave other people a chance to kind of increase their tempo but um anyway wound up you know we went out there and we did that event um i all the americans did well in it all the americans did great in day one um I think Dan Falcone actually tore his bicep on that event uh, just a little bit. It was, I think he got a tear in the muscle bit, belly, but I'm not sure. Uh, I know he tore his bicep, but it uh, it wasn't like a rupture. It wasn't catastrophic. Uh, but it was enough to hinder him the rest of the day. And uh, I don't know who took second in that event, but I took first in that event with nine repetitions. And we went into event two which was the farmer's walk. I don't even remember the weight. I think they were saying it was like 270-ish. I believe it was something like 50 feet down, 50 feet back, or 60 feet down, 60 feet back, something like that. Uh, I wound up winning that event again. And, uh, again, Americans did great. Um, I think Quint Zambone, I, I'm not sure, I think I'm mispronouncing his last name, but Quint, he... Uh, he tore his hand up really bad on that event, like really bad. Like I, ugh. I, I took a look at it right after the event, and it was messed up. Like tore off the, you know, tore off a good quarter of his hand, um, the palm, a good quarter of it, and like completely just peeled back. And <laughs> so that wasn't good. But he taped up and got ready for that last event. So after event two. We went to event three, which was the tire flip. It was six rep. It was six flips as fast as you could. Again, I actually won winning that event, and so I secured the top spot for that day. And the rest of the Americans did pretty well. Um, the only one who did not qualify for day two in either class, the 90 kilo or the 105 kilo class, was uh, was Dan Falcone. But again, he tore his bicep in that very first event, so I know that he was having issues with the other two events. Uh, especially that tire flip. A, tire flip is not something you roll into with an injured arm. Uh, I yeah, tore no. myself doing a tire flip. I know. I know how taxing that can be. There, it's mechanically not a not a, a good position. In the best of health. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, he was at a severe disadvantage. I think he wound up taking thirteenth, if I'm not mistaken. Wow, just missed and yeah, just yeah, because yeah, the cutoff was top twelve, and. Uh, yeah, and but in the same breath, so, going into a heavy, hard day, day two, would, wouldn't have done him any favors either. So it might it might have been a mercy to to 
to take the take the non completion and move on. Yeah, that's that's fair to say. You know, um, I know that he got I know he got back to the states and um, got his like got his biceps sorted out. I don't know if it was. I'm not incredibly educated on the subject. I thought he got I thought he had a partial tear, but he had a surgery for it. Um, I don't know if you can get like can you get a surgery for a partial tear? Or is that only for oh, absolutely. oh absolutely no 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 um, yeah if you <clears throat> address it early enough you can get a, a repair on the actual muscle belly and it preserves a larger cross section of the of the muscle uh, it's not okay. not super common but it's a really good move if you can get to it quick enough and afford it it's definitely a good move I mean once you have a like a tendinal rupture then you have no option but surgery but with uh, yeah. with actual soft uh, you know, myofibril tears, you can definitely work some magic with good doctors and, and good insurance. Yeah. Yeah. It looked, it looked to me like it was a partial tear because it was on, it was on the, uh, kind of the, the lateral side of his bicep. It looked like someone kind of took a melon baller and just scooped yep. out a little chunk of his bicep. Um, yep. it wasn't, it wasn't balled all the way up like a rupture, but it was noticeably, there's a divot, you know? <laughs> so. So going into day two, uh, the points were actually reset, which is something that they they told us would happen. Uh, it was a question that I had in the rules meeting on day one because I heard that they did this kind of thing. But anyway, day one, there were 26 athletes, and the top 12 from day one went to day two. Those are the finalists. And so they reset all the points to zero. And uh, Fresh contest on day two. Yep, yep. So it was like it was like day one with the three events were just a miniature contest to get the finalist group, and then separate contest day two. So day two starts and there's the max axle, and you kind of indicated how that went a little bit. <laughs> um, the old record was 161 kilos for the 90 kilo class. I don't know what the record was for the 105 kilo class. You know we. The 90 kilo guys, we went up, and I think there were three guys in the end, in like the last round, and it was myself, Tim Emerson, and one other person, and they said, "Hey, do you guys want to take a swing at the world record?" And I was like, "I was like, I don't care. What do you guys want?" Because I knew that I, I knew it wasn't going to be a problem anyway. And uh, <laughs> I don't mean to sound like an ass when I say that, but it's just the truth. Um, I knew it wasn't going to be much of a problem. So they were like, yeah, you know, we'll take it. Um, both those guys wound up missing the weight. I went out there and nailed it. And so I won the event. And that was only 165 kilos. And uh, up into that point, we had been making five kilo jumps. And so, you know, I, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, the crowd's going wild and stuff. And I was like, you know, okay, that was good, but... I'm ready to hike this, like, I'm ready to hike this record, like, way up. Like, this, you know, I'm ready to go way up now. And uh, I was like, hey, I'd like a couple more attempts. I want to I want to take a couple five-kilo jumps. And they're like, no, we're kind of short on time. Um, you know, we should we should keep moving. And I'm like, well, what if I take a 10-kilo jump? And they're like, no. You know, they kind of look at each other like, no. I was like, well, what if I take 180 kilos? And they're like, Okay, <laughs> you know, like, okay. If you think you can do it, okay. <laughs> so 
So I, you know, I called for 180 kilos, which was a 33 pound jump after we had been taking 10 pound jumps essentially. And, uh, went out there and it was close. Um, I had, I had a few technical flaws, honestly. My, you know, my jerk wasn't, it wasn't as on point as it usually was. It was a really high split and, uh, I should have, I should have got myself under the bar a little bit better. I threw it out front, but. Uh, anyway, I, I missed the 180 kilos. It was close, but uh. now, I want to I want to ask something with, and, and, and it's not my job here to make trouble or animosity. I'm certainly not the sensationalist, but <laughs> the way you're relaying this was this kind of like eh, he's American. We don't really have to kiss his ass, or was it just an, a, a legitimate concern for time, or was it just? Fuck him. What, I, I'm just trying to interpret what the, the, the tenor of the event uh, promoters was and, and why they wouldn't immediately want someone to raise a world record in their event. To me, that seems, um, I don't know, kind of an, the antithesis of what you would want with a world-caliber event. But, but I, what, what's your take? That's what I want to know. Is What was your take on why that was? And was it innocuous or was it a fuck you? I don't know. I think I think different people uh had different uh sentiments towards the Americans. Um I know I know not a whole lot of Americans typically get invitations to SCL events, uh which is strongman championship league events. Um, I know that you know the judges were not biased at all. I know that for a fact. That's um, good news. That's good to hear and, and good to hear yeah. out loud. That's a good thing yeah. to say out loud. I, I think things like people tend to always only want to uh, accentuate the, the negatives, and I think that's a solid positive that could be said pretty loud. Like, this was an unbiased, fairly judged event. That's, you know, that's tips. That's good news. Mm-hmm. And I, I really felt that. Um, but I did feel like, you know, they didn't, um, you know, maybe they didn't anticipate Americans doing too well or something because – I mean, after, on day one, here's one example. On day one, Irvin Katona was my judge for the Axel Clean and Press. Um, I was relatively early in the field. You know, typically you would think the best numbers don't come that early. Um, And so I went out, I got what wound up being the winning number of repetitions, and Irvin, like, looked at me and then looked at someone who was doing interviews, and he's like, hey, you should interview this guy. Uh, he just did really good in this event. You should interview him and talk to him about it. And the guy just kind of shook his head, no. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if they were just, like, kind of downplaying it or, like, I don't know why the guy said no to an interview with me. But you know, um, I, I actually heard that very story from someone else. I won't say who. Uh, but I, I did hear that story, and I thought about it. Because I was like, well, you know, that's, fuck that. Why would they not want to support, you know. And then I started to think about it, and, if I had to put my two cents into that, it's probably because being on foreign shores and promoted by foreign, say, dollars or euros, whatever the hell they use there, um, I suspect it was kind of their financial obligation to present to, quote, their public faces and languages and, and people that would market the event for the, it's always about next year. Well, you'll have, how can you bring more money to make this do, do its, do its thing again next year? So I suspect maybe kind of the interview field and the, the, the media side of it might have been 
quote, biased, but for financial reasons, not for, you know, we hate Americans or, you know, we didn't like you as much as we need to sell this to the proper people so we can do it again. Yeah, you know, and that's that's a great point of view. I haven't even – I never even thought of that, and that makes complete sense. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, and yeah, I'm that makes a lot of sense. Words, you know, maybe I'm putting words into someone else's mouth, but I can easily see how that chain of events could happen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, a lot of people uh, – it's a separate subject, but a lot of people criticize Colin Bryce for supporting English athletes, and – my attitude is, well, fucking course he does. He's selling them in England. Don't don't be an ass. You yeah, know, this, no, it's true. It seems very sensible to me. You know, Eddie yeah. Hall should be Colin Bryce's prime guy because he's right there. He, you know, you open a door and there he is. And I, I think yeah. maybe that's what happened here to you. But um, it, you know, it doesn't sound like it was quote bias. It just seems like maybe certain doors weren't as accessible because of financial obligations. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't I didn't take it and I didn't take it too personally. I wasn't going to I wasn't going to be mean to anyone because they didn't give me an interview or like whatever, you know. I wasn't there for an interview. I was there to whoop some ass. Like I was there to complete I was there to complete a goal that I've had since I was 18 years old. It took, you know, it took almost a decade and you know, for me when I walked away from the sport Almost a year ago now, I had to give up that dream. You know, originally my goal was to be a world champion by the time I was 26. And I, you know, by the time I was 27, I had won six national championships and I only ever got one world invitation. And the one world invitation I got was right after a major injury that wound up laying me up for almost 18 months. You know, not, I shouldn't say laid up, but it, it hindered my training for 18 months and I couldn't deadlift for over two years. Oh, wow. You know, it, it that fucked me up. <laughs> and having to give away that invitation just broke my heart. Like, like literally watching my dream slip through my hands and having to say, I can't take it because I can't represent my country. You're going to have to give it to Sean and Johnny. And that's, those guys got the invitation that year to Worlds, and they went there and they freaking rocked it, and they took third and sixth respectively. And... I was proud of them, and I, you know, but I wish I could have got to go. You know what I mean? Like I wish I could have did that. And when I stepped away from the sport, you know, I had to let that dream go. And when it came back around, and I mean, that's why I had to. That's why I had to accept the invitation as soon as I got it, because I said I may never get another opportunity like this again. Like I, you know, I competed my whole career and waited for an invitation when I was healthy, and it never came. You know, and this one time it came, and I said, I told everybody, I only need one shot. Like, I only need one try. You give me one opportunity, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to take it. And that's what I did. That's 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 just amazing. That's great stuff. Um, so, love, you know, so Axel, Axel Clean and Press, um, you you tied the world record, or, or did in fact elevate it in that event? Uh, elevated it by four kilos, and then almost elevated it by 19 kilos. And any of those jumps in the middle, you almost certainly would have gotten. But that's a separate. We'll we'll, we'll put that on a. On a <laughs> yeah, what could have been, whatever. <laughs> so, so second event day two was. Uh, I have to think back. Let me think. Was it the medley? We had a medley. We had a car deadlift. We had stones. There was another event that 
I feel like I'm missing. No, was it only seven events? Ugh. Sorry. I've been I've been consumed with academics since I got back. <laughs> but uh yeah, but I believe I believe the next event was the medley. You know, that that was an interesting event. In warm ups actually one of the implements got broke. And so they were going they were going to be running two two people at once. And since one of the implements got broke, they had to take both of that same implement out. And so they shortened the loading medley, um, you know, noticeably. Basically, it was supposed to be a duck walk followed by loading two implements followed by a farmer's walk. But one of the implements that was getting loaded broke. So it just wound up being a duck walk followed by one thing to load, like one it was actually a small pelican case. So it was load one small pelican case that felt like it was filled with rocks. <laughs> and then, um, then farmers walked. But that was a pretty, you know, there was a little bit of controversy with that event. Um, you know, some, I, feel like and, loading, I feel like medleys always have some issue just because they're so dynamic and there's yeah, you know, there's, there's there's movement and placings and positionings. I always feel like they have some sort of issue. So, mm-hmm. um, and how did you place on that? You, I wound up taking first again, actually. Right. Yeah, the the loading medley. I had a slight bobble. Um, I wound up setting it on the platform, and it was slightly over the lip, so I had to scoot it back over because they couldn't. They weren't allowing for any hangover, like when you load the implement, and it had to be standing upright. Now what? You know, what I heard in the rules meeting was it just needs to be standing upright. I didn't hear that it had to be on the platform with no overhanging. Um, and, you know, the way that we typically do it in the States, or at least, you know, what I'm familiar with most of the time is if it stands up and your hands are off, the time stops. Now, you know, that that actually came up. Um, they missed one, one person. Um, who loaded it and it was clearly hanging over and they didn't make him put it back on. But then later they wound up making all of the other athletes put it back on. And I know that that hurt, uh, I know that hurt Pat Castelli's time significantly. And I know that it hurt Tim Anderson's time reasonably bad. And then I think there were one or two other athletes who kind of suffered that same fate. Um, now, you know, this is when, this is when timing, I guess, comes into play. Since I had taken first in day one, I got to go last in all of these events. So I got to see that happen to everyone. And, uh, it, you know, that was a bummer. But, uh, you know, from my perspective, I was, I saw this happen to those guys and I was able to change my battle plan a little bit and make sure that I had it all the way on the platform. Now, and some guys were saying that yes, they said that it had to be completely loaded on the platform with no overhang. Other guys were saying, no, they just said that it only had to be upright. Me personally, I only heard it had to be upright, but uh I also got to the rules meeting a little bit late. So I I actually showed up to the rules meeting as they were doing the medley. I didn't even hear the rules for the axle clean and press. So um sometimes that happens. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean it, it was a shame that it hurt some guys' times, but that's kind of how it—that's kind of how it goes. And 
like you said, with a medley of, with a medley event, there's always some controversy. There's always a slight miscommunication, especially when you have 15 countries, you know. Right. You have with, 15 languages, 15 expectations, and ultimately just one guy making the final ruling. So I, I, yeah. I kind of chalk that up to just the, the, the operational hazards of a big event. I, I don't see that as, you know, any real Issues certainly, I wouldn't put that under. You know, certainly no malice or mischief there. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is really the only thing I poo-poo. You know, you, you, even <laughs> even stupidity is acceptable. Um, it, it's really deceit is the only thing that's unacceptable. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, I don't. There, there was no malicious intent. I really don't yeah, believe that's really, that there that's was really anything. Ask, I think. Yeah, so, I I do uh, feel that the judges were very unbiased. So that's. That's excellent, and I, like I said, I just don't think that could be reinforced enough. Uh, I think that's the sort of message that needs to travel the world and you know get on the social media, you know, bandwagon with that because that's that's really, really important, and that's the only way that you know the sport will have any growth is if it truly remains a sport, and that means mm-hmm. unbiased judgment. But uh, that, that's a separate little rant that I, I carry personally on my back all the time. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, the next event continue. Where, where? Uh, so, so the next event. Had, so far, you've had a sweep. Right? You won every event on day one and the first two events day two. Yes. Yeah. So at this point, I was five for five, and uh, I was expecting the stones to come up next because that's the way it was announced. Um, I didn't know how any other stone loader. I don't. I didn't know how any of the other guys were at stone loading in the ninety pounds or in the ninety kilo class, but. I know that I've always been an incredibly strong stone loader for any class that I've ever competed in. And so I knew that it wasn't going to be much of an issue. So I was I was thinking, you know, I'm going to do what it takes to win the stones. I'm going to save myself as much as I can for that car deadlift and then just give it everything I have, like give everything that I have, like pull until I just drop. Because traditionally my weakest event has been a deadlift. Yeah, well, one of my weakest events. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not an incredible log presser either, but um, in this contest, my week event that I had picked out for myself was that car deadlift. And uh, so I was a little worried about it, but then they decided to change the order and they said that the car deadlift would be second to last. And then that they were, uh, then after the car deadlift, we were going to go to stones, which makes complete sense. You know, I thought they should have had it ordered like that in the beginning because, you know, after stones, people get all tacky, and there's baby oil involved, and you don't want to get baby oil on the bar, and, you know, all kinds and of stuff like that. You know, traditionally, historically, stones have kind of been the show closer, so I, I, I would definitely yeah. see your point. Yeah, yeah. No, I was I was really surprised when they announced the order, and stones were the, as Colin Bryce says, penultimate event. <laughs> That's a great um, word. Well, yeah, no, I know. I love that even. Yeah, I love I love that word. The English the, the English really do own the language. We're just borrowing it. But Yeah, I know it's true. <laughs> Sometimes I use that phrase in my training. I'll be like, "So, uh, this is my penultimate list." And people are like, "What?" <laughs> it's just fun. But anyway, so we went into Yeah, we went into the car deadlift. Um and oh my gosh, was it heavy. Holy crap. Like, it was, so most most of the guys agreed that it was about 310 kilos in hand. Um, 
it was freaking heavy. And for the people who aren't familiar with kilos, that's about 680 pounds, 680 pounds. For a 90-kilo guy who weighs 200 pounds, that's a lot of weight, you know, uh, over half the field zeroed. Yeah, 3.5 times body weight is sufficiently heavy. Yeah, yeah. So if I recall correctly, four guys got one repetition, and then one person got three repetitions. Man, that thing was heavy. I was one of the guys that got one repetition. In warm-ups, in warm-ups I got one repetition easier than I did in competition, and I felt fine, and I was like, yeah, all right, like, I'm going to get three or four reps, and then I went out there, and it felt way heavier. I don't know what, like, what happened, but I don't know. I only got one repetition, like I said, over half the field zeroed, you know, that that kind of split the field um, quite a bit, so I wound up tying for second place in that event. Competing, I didn't get a huge opportunity to watch the 105 kilo class because by the time that they were going up I was warming up you know yeah so I can't really give much perspective on them but I'm um I'm sure Adam and Johnny did well <laughs> those guys are plenty strong I should mention that uh you know America the current America's strongest man under 231 Sean D. Marinas actually tore his bicep about for the contest. So he wound up going on the trip because he couldn't, you know, he couldn't refund the tickets. But, um, and he already had the time off from work and everything. So he got to go and we got to hang out. And uh, I think he was my pick. Like, he was my pick for the 105 kilo class. Um, and Ben Kelsey from England actually wound up winning in a really tight battle. Someone from uh, the Ukraine. And then... Uh, I want to say his name's Jorgen, uh, took third. So the Norwegian 105 kilo, uh, 105 kilo. But I, I think Sean would have won, even still. I mean, Sean's just such a monster. If he could have competed, I feel like he would have won. But it's, uh, you know, the sport's not only about ability, it's also about staying healthy and being at a place where you can compete. I know all about I know all about that, that, uh, you know, getting invitations and having to say no and, um, you know, it's, it's the athlete's responsibility to keep themselves healthy as well. So it, it sucks that Sean was hurt, but I, he, he was my pick is what I'm getting at and he didn't get a chance to compete and that's a shame. Um, but getting back to my perspective on the 90 kilo class. Yeah, that was super heavy. <laughs> and uh I actually wound up, I mean, just for that one repetition, actually I might have, I think I sprained my back on my second attempt because um, my back got like really wacky. I almost pulled it for a second repetition and I got up to my knees and then my back started around a little bit and then it was no good. And uh so anyway, they the the judges were really surprised at how many people zeroed because they had me and one other person test the deadlifts uh, before, like before other people were doing it, and each of us did one repetition, and they're like, okay, well, like you know, we should be good, but the two, like me and the one other person that did one repetition, wound up being two of the people that only did one repetition 
you know, in that right. in that class. So they picked two of the stronger deadlifters to test it, and it was heavy for both of the stronger deadlifters. So yeah, it was. I know that they weren't they weren't too pleased with it. They would have liked to see more repetitions. And after the car deadlift, of course, we went into stones. Uh, I want to say I wound up winning that event as well. Once again, <laughs> once again to interject, that, that's world's strongest man caliber stones. Like, you know, a 350-plus stone is so far beyond the, the realms of reasonable sensibility. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, was, it was heavy. <laughs> just, to point, just to point that out, I mean, you know, I mean, it's only in very modern times that anyone's picked up a 400-pound stone. It's, it's you know, that's, yeah. that's a new affair. That's a very new affair, so... To do that at literally half the body weight is is a very impressive feat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, to me, to me, I looked at it and I said, you know, all of the other athletes, these these twelve athletes, or I should say, these eleven athletes that I can I'm competing against are all, you know, top three guys in their nation. I mean, when they compete in their homeland, in every other contest that they do, they kick everyone's ass. Like right. And they come here and they can't load this last stone. You know, that's, I mean, you have the best people in the world at this that are failing. And everyone except one person failed it. <laughs> you know, like, uh, it's heavy. Like, for that class, it's it's pretty darn heavy. Um, again, from my perspective, you know, having competed in the 105 kilo class for so long, I mean, I loaded... I remember one time at America's Strongest Man under 231, you know, we had a 425-pound stone, and I loaded it four times to win that contest. Like, I had to load it four times, you know, and it was way heavier than 370. Um, so, for me, looking at this 370 stone, I was like, I kind of disrespected it a little bit, <laughs> you know. I was like, ah, whatever, it's only 370. <laughs> but... But yeah, for that class, it's ridiculously heavy. So you uh, you you won every event, save the uh, save the medley, yes? Uh, except the except the car deadlift. So I took I took first in six out of seven events, and then I took second in the event that I didn't win. Well, that's that's as close to a sweep as one can get. That's uh, a I know. That's a resounding win. That's impressive. Uh, I I really wanted that sweep. I really wanted that sweep. <laughs> well. And 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 that would just be almost unfair at that point. <laughs> um, so that's pretty much the competitive landscape. You know, you you essentially you know sealed your victory probably well before that final stone. Um, are now the ninety kilogram world strongest man. Any kind of uh, just kind of overall reflection on the event? You know, great event, not great event. Uh, things they can do to improve it, things that you can do to improve the status of it. Is just anything out there in the ether that, you know, really you need to say or think you want to or should say about the event? I don't feel like there's anything I have to say, but, I mean, it was just such a blast, you know, to get to travel with athletes from all around your country and to get to hang out with them, uh, you know, before and during and after the contest and just to have that experience is something that's something that I'll reflect upon for the rest of my life. I really believe that. And it was just, it's so much fun to be able to do that. And you build, you know, you build these bonds with these people and you kind of realize that uh, it's not the actual sport that you wind up missing when you leave. It's the people that you did the sport with 
you know, when I, yeah, when I look, when I look back on it, I think about people. I don't think about the sport, I guess, so much. And I love the sport, you know, but, you know, like I said, not much, you know, yes, we talked about what happened in the events, but the stories that meant the most to me were, you know, the times when, like Sean and Johnny would be arguing at breakfast or something or like yelling at each other or just getting rowdy or, you know, just hanging out with Pat and Adam in the hotel room and just kicking it and relaxing and talking about strategy for the next day or, you know, those kind of times. I could certainly relate to that. I, I certainly understand. I, I always personally, I mean, I was, you know, pretty competitive. I uh, probably could have been a much better competitive athlete than I was, but for this very reason is I almost found competing a nuisance. I loved training, and it seemed like a terrible <laughs> waste not to compete, but to me it was mm-hmm. always just about doing what I do, just just doing what I do, mm-hmm. and that made me happy, and that filled the gaps for me personally, and uh, I'm kind of hearing the same thing out of you, and I, and I and that makes me smile. I like that. Yeah, falling in love with the process. Um, well, that pretty much sums up what we intended to accomplish here, but um, before we let you go, I want to say a couple of things. One, um, something I probably should have said in the, more in toward the beginning in the introduction, but, um, you know, considering your pedigree, considering, you know, six-time national champion, now world champion, all the things you've got going, I really... I uh, find it surprising that you're not more of a household name than you are. Um, you know, from a pedigree point of view, you're literally one of the, in, at least in my mind, one of the top five, certainly in the top ten, you know, strong men that this country's ever produced. Uh, period. So I, I'm really a little surprised at that. Perhaps it's a personal choice, or perhaps it's just how things came to be. But I'm, I'm a little surprised at that. Another thing I'd like to say is congratulations. You know, to be. <laughs> Literally a, quote, world's strongest man is such a goddamn uncommon and rare thing. Uh, I, I think congratulations is in order. And uh, and then lastly, I'd like, like to say thanks for coming here and spending some time with me and uh, talking to my listeners and you know doing this show. Uh, again, to have a world's strongest man on my little pissant show is very meaningful to me and hopefully to the people listening. So I'd like to thank you for that. And uh, I'd like to give you an opportunity to say anything you want to say to anyone you want to say. Well, first off, thank you for the kind words. <laughs> and thank you for having me. Um, I don't know. Maybe it hasn't sunk in that I won a World's Strongest Man title. Anyway, sir, I'm delighted you came to talk to us. Uh, I'm, I really appreciate your story. Uh, I really appreciate... Uh, and something that I try to say to all my guests, but in your case, it's really, really poignant. I really appreciate you. Uh, I really appreciate people doing a thing, doing it humbly, doing it effectively, doing it with intellect, education, academia. Uh, I just, I just like to say thank you for being you and doing this, and uh, just representing us as a country, as a sport, as athletes just representing us very well. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> well, thanks. Again, thank you for the kind words. <laughs> so, um we're going to we're going to leave it there. Um and then just really quickly before we leave, I would like to formally invite you back anytime you have anything to talk about and mm-hmm. uh maybe have you back for a proper sports performance radio interview where we can address a topic. 
and really talk science and nuts and bolts and put some of that in mm-hmm. intellectual pedigree to work and uh, enlighten our listeners on, on something specific. So bear that in mind. Anything you'd like to tell us about, you can get on your little soapbox and preach a bit. We would love to hear. <laughs> All right. Well, we will sign off there, and uh, we hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Cool. Thank you very much.